Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the physical, financial, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're talking about veterinarians getting paid with attorney Milton C. Toby. Toby is an award-winning equine writer and photographer who has been involved in the thoroughbred racing industry for more than 40 years and who is married to an equine veterinarian. Toby was president of the American Society of Journalists and Authors from 2018 until 2020. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement. This Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Decra Veterinary Products. Thank you, Milton, for joining us today to talk about veterinarians getting paid. Well, thanks for inviting me, Kim. And I know that we want to make sure, because you're an attorney and this is a podcast, we want people to understand that this is not you offering legal advice, that they should seek advice from their own attorneys. That, that's correct. This is my standard disclaimer for this sort of thing. And basically, it is that this is for educational purposes. And this is not legal advice, and you, your listeners shouldn't uh, think that it is. And as you say, they need to contact their attorney in their own state because that attorney will know more about their state laws than I do unless they happen to be in Kentucky. Well, that's, that's a good thing to have in here. So, But this, this is going to have some good basic information that then they, the veterinarians can take to their attorneys if they have other questions. So one of the first things we want to talk about is the fact that it's so much easier to get paid on time than to try and collect a delinquent bill. So let's just talk about the basics of getting paid. So I think we'll start with how do you find out who's responsible for the bill? That's a really good question, Kim, and it's a perfect place to start because I'm, I'm guessing that most of your listeners think they know who's responsible for the bill. And in a lot of instances, they probably do. But it's a little different for an equine veterinarian. If you're a small animal person, you know who owns the dog or the cat or the rabbit, since it's now Easter, in Kentucky at least. You know who the person is who owns the animal and who's running up the bill. But if you're dealing with a, a single owner, single horse owner at his or her farm, then you know who who's going to be responsible. It's the person who called you. But if you're a racetrack vet, or if you're dealing with a large commercial organization, you know, breeding, racing, training, showing, whatever, the person who calls you out to the farm is likely to be the trainer or the, the farm manager. But the person who may be responsible for the bill is the owner of the horse. But that isn't necessarily true. It's really important that you understand there may be an agency relationship and when I talk about agency, I mean that a third party is assuming responsibilities for the person that you're actually dealing with. In this case, the third party would be the owner of the horse. So if a trainer calls you and says, you need to come out, we have a horse that's colicking, you may assume that the trainer is going to be responsible for the bill. But if there isn't this agency relationship that doesn't involve you, it's between the trainer and the owner of the horse. If the trainer isn't authorized to act as the agent for the owner, and acting as the agent means that the uh, the agent can incur debts on behalf of the owner, on behalf of the principal in this relationship, then the owner may not have any liability for you to pay the bill. And you are very unfortunate to try and get the, the money from the trainer 
or the farm manager because they're assuming that the owner is going to pay the bill. So it's really important, particularly when you're starting up with a new client, to find out for sure if, in fact, the trainer or the farm manager has the authority to call you in without you having to call the owner and make sure that it's okay. And that can be in writing. It preferably should be in writing because everything should be in writing. But if, if the trainer has called you a half dozen times and every time the owner has paid the bill, then you can assume that there is this agency relationship. But it's always dangerous to assume anything when you're talking about money and legal issues. So if you can get the understanding and writing, that's even better. But just be aware of the fact that particularly with a large operation where the trainer isn't on, where the owner isn't on site, chances are the trainer has the authority to call you, but he may not. It's something you want to work out before you get the call that says, yeah, my horse is colicking, it's two in the morning, come out and, and help. So that that's the first thing that you need to do is figure out who's going to be responsible for the bill. And I know today there are a lot more horse owners, even of just everyday backyard horses, where they have different types of insurance on their horses. Where does that come into play for the veterinarian? Well, again, the, the more information that you can get from your clients before you need it, the better. And one of the things, particularly for a horse owner, uh, is, is to find out if there's any sort of major medical insurance. That isn't likely to cover the, the routine things that you do, but if you have a colic call at two o'clock in the morning, which is when they tend to colic, you may be able to collect from the insurance company. But again, it's important to know that ahead of time. And the owner, the owner can certainly tell you about that. The trainer may or may not know whether there is insurance. The farm manager may not know. So again, it's good to know who the owner of the horse is. And sometimes if you're, if you've got a trainer that has, you know, a dozen or two dozen, or if you're somebody that has 200 horses spread all over the country, the trainer may not know for sure who the owner is, or the trainer's assistant may not know. So just the more information you have, the better before you need it. And on some of the policies, I know that it's a requirement that the insurance company be uh, notified before, say, colic surgery. That, that's correct. And also, if it should be something serious enough that required euthanasia, you absolutely have to notify the insurance company as well. But if you don't know there is insurance in the first place, you don't know you need to notify. You know, one, one of the things to always be afraid of and always to understand is that you don't know what you don't know. That's true. Okay, and let's talk a little bit about record keeping. How does that help a veterinarian get paid? One of the, the best things that you can do is to bill your clients on a regular basis. It's usually monthly. That's the way most veterinarians do it. But it's very difficult to complain about a delinquent bill if the excuse is, well, you haven't sent me a bill for three months. So you need to at least do or you do your work, your homework to get the bill paid. And the first thing you do is you send a bill out on a regular basis. And again, this is why it's important to know who do you send the bill to? Do you send it to the trainer and hope he forwards it or he or she forwards it to the owner? Do you send it directly to the owner? Uh, what's the owner's address? So, you know, uh, Regular billing is the most important thing you can do. The second most important thing is following up quickly if you don't get paid. 
because the worst thing you can do is to send a bill and you don't get any response and then you ignore it for a while and then you uh, want to get another bill out and the excuse is going to be, well, hey, I, I, I didn't get the first one. You didn't send another one. You know, there, there are all sorts of ways to avoid that. It, it's just a basic good business practice to do things that your clients expect you to do and they expect to get bills. And they expect to get bills on a regular basis. So let's say that you, you've created a policy at your vet clinic and you want to charge interest on somebody who's 30, 60, 90 days late paying a bill. Can you do that? I mean, what's what's up with that? You you can do it, but there are a couple of, of caveats that the, the equine practitioners need to understand. The first is it, it's helpful to know what other veterinarians in your area are doing. If there are six equine veterinarians, six practices, and five of them don't charge interest on overdue bills and you decide to, you're probably going to lose a few clients. So it's important to know what the, the market will bear. That, that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is there probably are requirements in your state that limit how much interest you can charge. And that varies from state to state. Uh, some people will tell you that the most you can charge legally is one and a half percent interest a month. That may be true in some states. It may be less in other states. It's probably not ever going to be more than one and a half percent a month. And, you know, 10 percent is probably, I won't say always because I, I can't say always, but that's safer. But again, you have to decide if the if the problems with charging interest that might cost you a client, a good client generally, then you might want, want to rethink that. I do think it's important to be consistent among clients because clients talk. And if one of your clients is being charged interest for a delinquent bill and another one isn't, the person who's getting charged interest is not going to be pleased. So it's one of those things that sounds like a really good idea, and it sounds like you're you're protecting yourself, but you may not be. So th this is where it's very important to deal with an attorney who's familiar with your state's laws. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good tip. So I know during the pandemic, a lot of people were moving more toward getting a credit card on file or you know something like that. How how can you do those types of things and uphold them? Part of the, the the deal here with a credit card on file is you need to have a written agreement with whoever's going to be responsible for the bill. And that's one advantage of asking for a credit card on file before you need it, is you then know who the responsible person is. Let's assume it's the owner for, for a second here. You need to have some sort of an agreement, first of all, that says that you are accepting this credit card for filing purposes and for future payments. And there needs to be something in the agreement that sets a maximum amount because you don't want an open-ended credit card on your files. That, that creates problems for you in case maybe you have a, you know, a vet tech who comes across a credit card that isn't, and this person isn't quite as honest as you thought he or she was. You don't, there's liability for you by having an open credit card. So you want to have some sort of, of uh, a limit 
that you can charge to this. But if, if your owner is okay with that, and as you say with the pandemic, when a lot of people couldn't get to a vet, they, they couldn't haul their horse to a vet, the vet didn't want to come out for any number of reasons, you set up an account. And it doesn't have to be a credit card. It can be a, just a regular account like you do at the feed store, for example. But something where there is a guarantee that the owner or the responsible person is going to pay the bill. And if you've got a credit card, then that eliminates a step. But if you just have an account, then you have to go through the billing that we talked about earlier. And I know veterinarians, especially in the heat of the moment, sometimes take abuse if an owner can't afford to pay, let's say, your, your two o'clock in the morning colic. Maybe they can't afford a three or 5,000 or whatever it is in your area colic surgery. And you're trying, they start making you feel bad because you're charging for your services when they're the ones that can't afford the type of treatment their animal needs. So some veterinarians will say, okay, well, you can pay me over time or just give me a deposit and we'll work it out. Or, I mean, how do you help veterinarians understand they're in business and it's not their fault if, if a client can't pay for a service? That's a really good question. And again, looking back at the pandemic for a bit, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs. They, they lost their income sources. And for a lot of people, even for some people in the horse business who, who do this for a living, it it's still disposable money that they're spending. And I think the veterinarians need to be aware of that. But as you say, it, it's a business for the veterinarian. It's the, the vet's livelihood. But it also is something that you need to worry about. Do you have an ethical obligation to treat an injured or a sick animal, whether the, the owner can pay or not? And, and that's a, a question that each person's gonna have to decide for themselves. Or um, you say you, you do small animal work on the side. Uh, a dog gets hit by a car and somebody brings in this dog. You don't know who the owner is. Do you euthanize it? Do you treat it and hope you can locate the owner and get paid? It's not gonna work like that with a horse, but it's just the, the colic surgery at two in the morning is a good example. Maybe you know that this client has lost his or her job, doesn't have the money to pay. Do you go out on the call anyway? I mean, I, that isn't a legal question. It's a business question, but it has a lot to do with how you want to run your business and the reputation that you want your business to have. And I would suggest to you uh, to give a lot of consideration to the question of, do I want to lose a little money on this and improve my reputation in, in the equine community? And there's also the question of, do you work for yourself or do you work for someone else? Because I heard of a, a situation where an, a, an associate didn't have an ownership in the practice and they had very set you know, standards of this is what you will and won't do and how we get paid. And it was one of those cases, well, let's, let's use it as a dog. They brought a dog in and you know, they went ahead and did whatever treatment it was and the person couldn't pay and so they, you know, were trying to work out a payment plan and got called on the carpet by the owner of the practice because that was not the practice's policy. So sometimes it's not even the individual veterinarian who gets to make these decisions. That's absolutely right. And then 
not talking so much about you getting paid, but about your practice getting paid. This is something that the practice owner and the employee veterinarians need to work out ahead of time. You know, it, it's perfectly reasonable for an employee who isn't doesn't have an ownership interest in the practice to say, okay, what if I get called out on an emergency and the the, the owner can't pay? What do you want me to do? And then you have to decide whether what you're going to do if your boss says no, leave, don't don't treat the horse, and you feel an ethical obligation to do so. It, it gets really complicated there. Decra Veterinary Products is proud to sponsor Equimanagement's The Business of Practice podcast. Decra's equine product line includes Osphos, Clotronate Injection, Orthocon Vet IRAP 10 and 60, Osteocon PRP, Equidone Gel, Thumperidone, the Vetivex line of parenteral fluids, Vicox EQ Joint Supplement, and a comprehensive line of topical dermatologic products. The recent addition of Zymeta, Diaperone Injection, further expands Decra's equine offerings. For more information about Decra's products, please visit decra-us.com. Yeah, I mean, that, these are things that need to be thought about ahead of time and discussed if you are, whether you are the practice owner and have employees or you are the employee of someone else. Yeah, exactly. So let's go into a, a different topic now. A lot of veterinarians go, well, I can always take a lien out on a horse if, you know, they don't pay me. So can you explain what exactly the, a lien is and how that might work for a veterinarian? Sure. First of all, a lien is a security interest. And what that means is that if I have a lien on your horse, that means that I have a security interest. I'm, I'm sort of a part owner of your horse. And in theory, at least, uh, I could sell your horse if I have a lien. That is, I'm not going to do that in practice because it isn't usually the way it works. But what it might mean is that if you sell your horse, I'm entitled to part of the money. So that, that's basically what a lien is. Think of it like your car. When you finance your car, the bank, the finance company, whoever is financing it, they have a security interest, which means that basically you and the bank are partners in the ownership of your car. Mm-hmm. So think of that's what a, a lien is. And a veterinarian can have a lien uh, for the the cost of the services, the treatments that have been provided. And again, this is going to vary from state to state. And I will say once again, talk to your own attorneys who can tell you what your laws are. I can tell you in Kentucky, there is a specific statutory veterinary lien that gives a veterinarian a security interest in whatever animal is being treated. It isn't limited to equines or small animals. It's for veterinary care and gives you it cre- creates by law a, a security interest in the veterinarian's favor. Kentucky has two other liens. There is an adjuster's lien, which is for the care and feeding of the horse. And then there's also a stud fee lien that gives the owner of the, of the stallion a security interest in a foal that's produced from a breeding if the stud fee hasn't been paid. So Kentucky, we, you know, we're, we like to think we're the horse capital of the world. And so we have three very specific liens that uh, affect the horse industry, but we have a specific veterinary lien. The American Veterinary Medical Association in March of 2021 published a a list 
by state of veterinary liens. And, and we'll have a link to that that you can follow. But the, they list every state and with a, a brief description of what the veterinary lien does. And there are 45 states that are listed here that they say have veterinary liens. When you actually look through the descriptions, not all of those are specific veterinary liens. Of the 45 that is listed by the AVMA in this document, 21 of them actually refer to veterinarian in the language of the lien. So those are the states that you clearly are getting a statutory lien for your work, for what you do. There are three other states that although they don't mention veterinarian specifically, they mention farrier services specifically. So if you are a veterinarian who does any sort of farrier work as part of your practice, even if you don't have a specific veterinary lien, you might be able to have a lien for at least the farrier work that you do as part of your practice in these three states. The others in the 45 states that don't have specific veterinary liens or these three farrier liens all have uh, adjusters liens, and these are liens for the care and feeding of, of an animal primarily livestock, you know, horses. But whether that includes a veterinary practice providing care and feeding, it isn't at all clear. And the adjuster's liens are so old, you know, that they were written when people were going to the livery stable, when they took their wagon into town to get supplies. So the language isn't particularly modernized, let's say. So th there are going to be options for veterinary liens in some but not all states, and you have to figure out what the requirements are. And the, the laws are going to be really vague. Typically, there will be wording in the statute that says you have to provide proper notice of the lien, but they don't tell you what proper notice is. Is it sending a letter? Is it sending a certified letter? Is it posting something in the local newspaper? do you have to post something in a national newspaper like USA Today? The statutes seldom tell you what proper notice means. Because if your goal is to sell the, the animal to recoup your, your uh, charges, then you have to give the owner of the animal an opportunity to know that you're going to sell the horse and then to pay the bill. So the proper notice is a, a very strict legal requirement. There also will be a few statutes that require you to do what is called perfecting the lien. This isn't common, but in Kentucky, if you want to perfect a lien, you have to file a statement with the Secretary of State that says that you are asserting your lien, your statutory lien on this particular horse. And the idea there is that uh, people, particularly in the, the high-end racing and show business, they will use their horses as collateral for loans. And the, the lender has the right to know whether there are any other liens on the horse before they loan money for it. That's why in some states you have to perfect your lien. In other states, Kentucky's one of those, you have to go to court. You have to get a court order to sell the horse. So there's a, an involved legal process as well that probably violates the U.S. Constitution, but that hasn't come up in, in Kentucky yet. So again, with, with the liens, it's like everything else. It's very, very state-specific. And when you're talking about uh, an equine veterinarian, probably the, uh, 
states that are big in the horse industry, you know, Kentucky, California, Florida, Texas, Illinois, the Maryland, the, the biggies, they're more likely to have a veterinary lien just because the veterinary bills are going to be larger. And, you know, it, it's the in the interest of the veterinarian. So that, that's what a veterinarian veterinary lien is. It's a, a way that you might be able to enforce the payment of your bill. But as a practical matter, you know, the, the whole veterinary lien idea is built around the chance that you can sell the horse or sell the animal. And if you don't have possession of the horse, you're not going to be able to sell the animal unless you get a court order in the states that require that. So it, it this isn't a do-it-yourself remedy. It's something that you really need an attorney's help with. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. And again, just to reiterate for our listeners, that AVMA article with the link to the vet liens, we will put that in the Equimanagement article for the Business of Practice podcast on this topic on equimanagement.com, and then you'll be able to click right through to that AVMA. Okay, so let's let's go to the very last one, and this is a topic that a lot of people get nervous about even saying, but hey, I'm not getting paid, I'm going to sue you. So how does that work for veterinarians? It works better for lawyers than it does for veterinarians, I can tell you that. The, the idea is a good one, because assuming that you've done the things that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you, you have you do regular billing, you have a, a written agreement of some sort with the owner of the animal, the, the responsible person, then this is not the same as a veterinary lien. The veterinary lien is created by statute, but a contract is created between you, the veterinarian, and the owner of the horse. And if, and part of the contract is that they are agreeing to pay for veterinary care. And if the owner doesn't do that for whatever reason, then you have at least the potential of filing a breach of contract lawsuit. But it's it's a very, very dangerous thing to do. Because what typically happens, if you file a lawsuit claiming breach of contract for non-payment of a bill against an owner, the owner is very likely to file a malpractice lawsuit against you to say that they don't owe the money because you harmed the horse rather than cured it. And you don't want to wind up in a legal battle. There are all sorts of reasons. It's expensive, it is time consuming, and it's gonna be in the local papers that you are suing an owner because the person couldn't pay their bill. They're going to look like a, an attractive defendant. You're going to look like a money-grubbing veterinarian, and you don't want that. You also need to worry about your insurance here, your malpractice policy. If you want to sue someone for a bill, say it's an, a large enough bill that makes it worth it, you need to talk to your insurance company be, before you do anything, because they'll be providing your legal defense anyway, and they may not think this is a good idea. They might prefer to settle with something. And, and this rubs veterinarians the wrong way because you're you're thinking about settling a claim that you did malpractice of some kind that suggests that maybe you did. So settling this is, is not a good idea either necessarily because it's going to hurt your reputation. The 
insurance company may not want to go to court. They may want to settle because that's cheaper for them. So lawsuits, you need to really weigh the pluses and minuses of filing a lawsuit. I, I would always recommend to a client that they not do that that they try and negotiate something with the owner, that they look at a, a veterinary lien option, or they, they, that they just write it off. And again, always think of the return on your investment when you treat an animal. The return may be money. That's what you want it to be. But the return also may be an enhanced reputation. Maybe the, uh, the horse farm manager or the horse farm employees or the owner, whoever, maybe they didn't have the money to feed their horses. And now you have the, you need to treat them. You know, they're, they're malnourished. You're going to get a lot of good PR if you don't hound this person for their money, for your money. Maybe that's the return on investment that you need. You know, it's good PR for your clinic. So there are a lot of things when we're talking about getting paid, it isn't just about getting the money that you're owed. It's about the circumstances under which you get that money. And, and I think that's as important a lot of times as just being very, very aggressive and doing everything you can to get paid. You know, sometimes it makes sense, but sometimes it doesn't. And, and those are the business decisions that I think are the hardest things that veterinarians have to do. Yeah, and I, I, I think veterinarians, I think just going back to the basics of making sure you know who's responsible for the bill, is there insurance, make sure you've got your records and you build and you followed up with anyone that hasn't paid. I mean, that should take care of most of your issues about getting paid. And then there's always, you can do a credit card on file and just let them worry about it. And there's other options like care credit and some of these, these places that you know will um, take over that debt and work with the owner on it. So, yeah. And one final thing, and this isn't for the equine veterinarians who are listening to this, but it's for the horse owners. A lot of reasons or a lot of the time that you get in trouble with a bill is you get a bill, you can't pay it, and you don't go to the veterinarian and say, look, I'm having some hard times right now. Can we work this out? So one of the things that the veterinarian, I would strongly advise that you do if you have a delinquent bill, the first thing is call up the owner and ask, you know, the, the email business, that's not a good idea. A, a personal call to say, what's the problem? And if there is a problem, try and work it out. If you can negotiate a payment plan or even a partial payment that you're willing to accept, that eliminates all the worrying about veterinary liens and lawsuits and getting sued for malpractice and all the other bad things that we've talked about. You should be able to work it out. And the owner has some responsibility here. And that's something you might want to tell the owner you know, early on in the process. Look, if there's a problem with the bill that I, I'm not going to know about it, you need to tell me. And we'll try and work something out. And then the, the legal things, the veterinary liens, the lawsuits, those should be last resorts, not first actions. Right. But, and there is one more thing to consider, I think, that veterinarians are not banks. They, they are not really in the lending of money business, but it's up to the individual practice if they want to take payments on something and whether they charge interest, which is you discussed earlier. So some of this, it just really needs to be thought about 
you mentioned having a contract. Um, I know when you go into a small animal clinic, you or even a doctor's office, you sign something and it says, yes, I'm responsible for paying the bill. So, I mean, having that on file, it would be a good thing for all of your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And the more communication there is, the less likely there will be unpaid bills. Well, and on that note, I think we will say thank you very much, Milton, for joining us today to talk about veterinarians getting paid. We want to thank our audience for listening to us on this Business of Practice podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Decor Veterinary Products. We invite you to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network, such as iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher, to hear each episode of the business practice. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can send me an email at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. 